It's Enrico Palazzo! How about that? You should have been pulled in the fourth of they have faith in you. You should have been pulled in the fifth that they had faith in you. That's the hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. And now. Mike Govier and Chris Deary, take it away, boys! What's your time? Welcome back. Hey, it's me and Chris Deary. We're here for another episode of Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. It's episode 16. Welcome to the show. We were off last week as we attended to personal affairs. Now we're back. What's going on, Chris? Not much, Mike. Uh, I think I'm in week seven now uh, of my uh, kind of being off work, but I am back to 40 hours now working from home, which is extremely difficult. I miss my office. Oh, yeah. Missing the office, baby. You and the wife get to spend a lot of time together. Yeah. Wife went back to work this week. Uh, She hates it. Uh, She feels like lost all of her social skills with people. probably once i go back to the office i will have no idea how to talk to people because i've only been talking to you and a handful of other uh legends on zoom calls and my family and my wife so uh, wow good luck with all that i mean christina is uh, she's kind of a private person herself so spending all this time alone is that's gotta be tough going back to work and the fact that she has to go to work man i feel i feel for people that have to get back out there when you're not necessarily ready or really feeling like it. So kudos to her, man. That is not yeah, easy. She's not comfortable. She has to wear a mask and social distancing and all that stuff. But she uh different kind of ethic when it comes to uh, this whole virus. And uh, if she could stay home right now, she absolutely would. Hey, shout out to anybody who's had to go back to work when you didn't feel like it was safe to do so. I, uh, I'm very fortunate that I'm just stuck at home still. And I... I've tried to get unemployment a million times and not been able to get that, but that's okay. At least, uh, at least I'm still alive and I get to do this podcast. Hey, it's a Rico Palazzo baseball podcast. We're on Twitter at Palazzo podcast, two L's, two Z's. You can hit us up on Instagram as well. Same handle, two L's, two Z's Palazzo podcast and send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, We did the bracket here for the last uh, couple of weeks, the world series winner since 1980. We really enjoyed doing it. Um, there seemed to be a sense of bracket fatigue, though, amongst the masses because we haven't had as much engagement. I would also chalk that up to the current situation we are in. There's no baseball, and it's dragging on. And we're going to talk about today's proposal, the MLB's proposal for the three divisions. But that, that's all they give us, and that's all there is to go on. And it, as a baseball fan, Chris, I think you got to be the, kind of exhausted by the same old waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah, it's been hard for me to get excited after, you know, they've they've come out with two or three ideas here in the last month. And, you know, instantly I'm like, all right, yes, baseball, it's on its way back. They're, they're coming up with these ideas. But it's hard to get really, really bought into all this because a lot of things still need to happen. And, you know, we talked about this before we started recording today. Is, uh, initially, when this all started, we talked about, okay, baseball will happen. We were talking about it 
possibly coming back in May uh, with no fans. We still think there will not be fans. And uh, now it's looking like maybe June, maybe a hundred game season. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like this proposal that they came up with today seems like the best one that they've come up with, but I mean, this, this could change in two weeks. So it's tough to say, but we're just trying to, to make the best of it, the projections got to be all wiped off the board now because it's almost certain at the very least there will not be a 162-game season. And we're just trying to do the best we can. Stay focused. Enjoy baseball for what it is. And find nuggets of information that are entertaining. We're here to support all of you through this really boring time. Some of you guys are working, as we just mentioned, but others of you are just kind of sitting on ass, sitting around. <laughs> wondering what it all means and you're getting drunk every day and that's cool you know if that's your thing that's great but um here at the hey it's a rico plazo baseball podcast we're here to talk fantasy baseball today don't forget you can find our podcast on the bases loaded network basesloadednetwork.com all those guys are pumping out tons of great articles still believe it or not so i think uh it's something that we can all kind of dig our dig ourselves into for a few minutes here and there is reading an article about Still possible sleepers. Uh, we're going to talk about contract year players to watch. Do you find yourself getting involved in any type of baseball content, like reading articles right now, Chris, on your free time? I've been reading a lot of stuff from uh, from the the network that we're in. Uh, those guys are just machines, man. They're just pumping out new stuff every day. And what I like is a lot of it's very different and, you know, kind of different takes on a lot of things. I've seen some stuff with dynasties. Uh, they've talked kind of about, uh, you know, different uh, – formats that people might play in or you know just looking at different projections of guys and and how you know this whole quarantine may help help some guys out and uh it's great just the content that they've been able to put out uh i wish that i've so i'm a little fatigued because i i i'm it's almost like i'm searching for something to get super super excited about but every time i read these articles i get pumped up and then at the end of the article i'm like well fuck, there's still no baseball right now. Um, you know, at this point, we would have been, what, 20, 20 some odd games into the season. And that's really when I feel like I'm going to thrive is once the season starts and we can really start digging into what some of these players are doing, some of the, you know, letdowns or some of the big surprises. And living in this whole world of projections is kind of difficult for me. So, uh you know, at least at least these articles by by guys within our network have been great. They've been fun fun to look at, uh, and I'm glad that you know people are still putting out some great content. And I hope that we can still do the same. That's basesloadednetwork.com, run by the master Mike Kirtland. Thanks, Mike, for having us on the network. And don't forget check out the Open Bar Podcast. That's another podcast, along with Mike's own Bases Loaded Podcast. There is just so much content. If you still want to stay active and keep up on the latest and greatest in fantasy baseball that's a place to go i will be joining the turn two podcast as a kind of a rotating co-host here and there that's run by matt williams and you can check that out on twitter at turn two podcast matt's a really cool guy we got to talking recently and i'm not going anywhere this is my baby me and chris do this podcast i love this podcast but i'm just going to be uh kind of thrown in the mix he's got like a stable he's created and he wanted to do a couple pods here and there so i'm going to do that on occasion check out the turn two pod as well don't lay me off mike (laughs) i know you you only live about two miles from me so i i I can track you down (laughs) yeah is 
it even two miles? Yeah, it's, we're very close. And yeah, not even. Once, it's probably a mile and a half. I'm sure I could run there. We used to do it right here once upon a time. Actually, this is the microphone you would use, this one right here, and I would use the black one. Um, I'm actually more comfortable with my setup down here in the basement now, even though we are doing this on Zoom. Uh, I got my stool. I can, I can stand up if I need to stand up, which I like. Uh, I don't have to be right up onto the microphone. So I think this has been, this has been working out really well. Oh, that's great to hear, man. Yeah, I like doing it this way too. I mean, if whatever's more comfortable for you is what I want, because we want to get the most out of Chris Deary. That's the focus here. And that's why people listen to the show. They want to hear your takes. They want to hear me blab about something. And that's what you get here on the Hey, it's Rico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. Last piece of business, wanted to shout out to Justin Mason. Thanks for the telethon, the fundraiser, the potapalooza, whatever the hell you want to call it this past Sunday. <laughs> I was on with uh, Anthony Aniano and Adam Rodas and Brent Herzog. These guys are all fantasy baseball analysts, good guys. And Justin Mason had us on. I had a great time. We raised over $6,000 from Meals on Wheels. That's very positive. And I feel like it was a real honor to kind of talk to Justin for the first time about fantasy baseball. So thanks for having me on, Justin. Thanks for letting us represent the podcast. And congratulations, Meals on Wheels. They're a good cause, and we enjoyed it. And shout out to Mrs. Mason. She brought the funny and she also wore a swimsuit of Justin Mason's face on it. It was hilarious. Uh, those guys are kooky, man. They're the funniest couple in fantasy baseball, bar none. So let's get into it. We're leading off. So, Deary, where are we in the timeline? Where do you see yourself right now as a fantasy baseball analyst? Analyst? Where are we right now? What's going on? What's the timeline here? Timeline of when the season's going to start, when we might be doing some drafts. I'm actually supposed to do a draft this Sunday, and I'm not thrilled about it at all. Uh, I'm in three main leagues, and one league I run, I've pushed the draft back. I'm going to keep pushing it back till we know more. Uh, and this league I've been in since high school, so almost 20 years now, we're set to draft on Sunday, and I'm not really thrilled about it at all. I think guys are just kind of bored and need something to do, but uh, I think you know, you talked about wiping the board clean with some of these players because until we really know what's going to happen with the season and the format, I think that changes the evaluation of a lot of players. So so we'll see. Uh, obviously, the proposal came out today. They're talking possible June, looking at maybe 100 games, three divisions of 10 teams, uh, which I love these divisions. It's super fun. I, I've, I've been thinking about realignment for years. And uh, I think that's super exciting. So I think there's some hope uh, that June may happen, maybe 100 games, some type of expanded playoff format. You know, maybe if you play into late October. But obviously there's still a ton of hurdles, and it all has to do with the medical community and, you know, things that they're going to have to figure out. Are they going to have to do mass testing? Are they going to be quarantining these guys in hotels uh, with this new proposal of the three divisions? It looks like they'd only be playing within their own division of 10 teams. Um, I'm still confused on whether or not they're going to be playing in their own home ballparks. Uh, I've heard, I've heard that, but I've also heard the flip side of that or where they've talked about uh, Texas, Florida, and uh, maybe Arizona as the three kind of places for these divisions and you, you use fields around there. Obviously, there's going to be no fans, uh, which we kind of predicted from the beginning. I'm hopeful, but 
not terribly optimistic. Not optimistic. That sums up. Theories that had a real tough time with this. This has been an, an unpleasant time for you. This lack of baseball, the, the projections, the onless talking about what's going to happen. And I admit it. I agree with you, man. How often can we talk about what's going to happen? I know we're trying to grow our podcast here and connect with people through fantasy baseball, but uh, it, it just gets exhausting. You, we start looking for other avenues. That's why we did the bracket because we thought it would be something different to talk about because we covered every position and I suppose there's always another angle and more fantasy analysis to cover, but when nothing is happening, when there's no forward momentum and a possible season getting underway and we can't talk about what happened last night, you know, it gets kind of exhausting. Yeah. I think as we plowed through all those position groups, uh, you know, we got to the end and kind of right when we got to the end is when all this started happening. Well, we and, had it lined up like it would work out, and that yeah, yeah it, didn't. it was, was going to be perfect. And I think at the beginning, I was optimistic for May, so I was like, okay, we're going to have about a month break here, uh, and there's still some other stuff that we could, you know, we can pot about, uh, you know, some, you know, looking into maybe some minor league stuff, looking at some of these rotations, looking at some of the surprises from spring training. All that gets derailed with, uh, you know, seven weeks that we've been been in this whole uh, mess. So. I'm sure every, uh, there's a lot of other massive baseball fans out there that are feeling the same as we are. Uh, we're here to support you. <laughs> Send your emails our way. We're, we're uh, anxious to talk ball for sure. Uh, and, you know, we'll talk about any ideas that you're ready to throw at us. Because uh, obviously we love baseball. And Mike's not lying. This has been, this has been difficult for me without sports. I, I was thinking about this the other day. So I, I had been working part-time from home, and I'm back to 40 hours a week now. Um, and I was just thinking about how, like, I watch a ton of baseball anyways, but I was thinking about how amazing it would have been for me to be home during this quarantine and be able to watch even more baseball and study up even more and really focus more than ever on my fans. And that just hasn't been happening. So it, it's been difficult, but uh, at some point we're going to have baseball and I'm going to be super excited about it. I feel your pain, dearie. I really do. What about the minors contracts? The minor leagues are going to most likely contract 40-some-odd teams, and I've looked at the plan. Most of it is a lot of short season, uh, some rookie ball situations. And now, if you live in one of these towns, it's a huge disappointment. And I'm not trying to take away what that means to people who live in these towns. Like, if you live in a town – I, I uh, talked on a Twitter thread the other day, and I said – you know, this is a disappointment, but if you look at the grand scheme of things, there's still going to be tons of minor league baseball. I mean, the International League, the Pacific Coast League, all those, the Triple A's will remain, the Double A's will mostly remain. Unfortunately, our Tigers, uh, it looks like the Double A Erie Club will be contracted, but I got into a little thing with the guy. I didn't get into it because I never get into things. I want that to be clear. I never get into arguments on social media. I don't do that. But I just made a comment that in the long run, there'll still be enough minor league baseball. And he said, oh, obviously you don't live in one of these towns. And I'm like, you're right. I don't live in one of those towns. But it doesn't mean I can't understand it. It would. I admitted that it is a bummer. It is a bummer. But overall, life goes on. Things do change. You know, we'd, we used to have shorter seasons in Major League Baseball. We used to have different styles of divisions. We only had uh, pennant winners playing in the World Series. We didn't have championship series. A lot of things change. Things progress. And unfortunately, there's, I guess there's casualties to that. And that is disappointing. And I feel for all the towns that lose it. But 
Do you have any comments? Do you think this minor league's contraction is a big deal? And are you oh, on the I side of them? I think it depends on how much is contracted. I, I think maybe some positives of this would be, you know, maybe some of these minor league salaries get up a little higher. Maybe they get better benefits now. Sure, it sucks if you live in Altoona and you lose your team. I mean, shit, Erie Seawolves. I just bought an Erie Seawolves hat last month. I love their mm. new logo they're rocking this year. Uh, so that would be a bummer for me. You know, we live in Ann Arbor. We don't have a minor league team here. Uh, do I focus on all, what, five, six minor league uh, divisions or leagues that are out there? No, I'm, I'm focusing in on single A, double A, and triple A. And uh, we'll, so we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, Manfred has taken a, a big hit on this. A lot of people are pissed, including my, my father, who's furious about uh, contraction and the draft changing. So I, I think we got to give it time and see actually what happens and, and what goes away. But like you said, Mike, life goes on and we'll, we'll adapt. And uh, it may end up being better for the league. We'll see. Uh, there's a story that came out today that uh, it's, it's, there's not going to be any minor league baseball this season. It's a done deal. So. There will be no minor league season, but they're going to expand rosters. And this is according to a couple agents, and it looks like uh, there's not going to be any minor league baseball, but the rosters will be expanded beyond the 26. So that means there will be more depth and some minor league players will get some time, but they still won't get to play every day. So It'll be odd. So is it going to be like these teams' 40-man rosters? Like our team's going to have to decide? Am I taking – you know, is Wander Franco going to come up with the team or, you know, another guy who's 32 years old and could be a productive player for your team. And he's sitting in AAA right now. It, mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I feel terrible for these minor league players. Uh, I'm really interested to hear how many players will be on each team, how you're going to be able to keep them active. If you're going to have to kind of switch them in and out. It's, it's another thing that I haven't really thought of, uh, you know, when we talk about this, the season restarting is what happens with minor league baseball and what happens with these players specifically. I mean, it's got to be a nightmare if, if uh, you know, you're 22, 23 years old and you're right on the cusp of possibly getting a, getting a shot with the big club and you may not play any ball at all this season. That's, that's just, that sucks, man. How are you going to improve? So a lot to shake out. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's total bullshit that Major League Baseball doesn't pay minor league players more. They could totally afford it. Triple-A players get, like, two grand a month who aren't on a major league roster, like the 40-man roster. It's garbage. These teams are loaded, and these owners are loaded, and there's plenty of money to go around, and they're just being stingy because that is the tradition of baseball. Major League Baseball wouldn't have it any other way, from the reserve clause all the way back to Charles Comiskey not giving out bonuses, things like that. I mean, these are the type of things. Scumbags have reigned supreme in Major League Baseball, and they always have, and they always will. Yeah, unless you're one of those, you know, first few rounds where those guys get an excellent signing bonus. If you're picked in the 40th round, yeah, two grand a month, 1500 bucks a month. You're living in a, an apartment in some shitty town in America. <laughs> <laughs> That's tough, man. Uh, you know, we both know guys that have, have gone and played some minor league baseball, and there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome, and there's a lot of politics into all of this. So, uh, it's, I commend those guys that are career minor league ball players. I don't know how they do it. Uh, you know, heading out to the Mexican league in the winter to go play winter ball, but uh, I don't know how they're doing it. And I don't know how they're surviving. I have a hard time surviving on my salary. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. Let's talk the latest proposal. 
Let's talk about the latest proposal with the three divisions. Throw me a freaking bone here. I'm the boss. Need the info. We don't know exactly if they'll be playing in their home parks. I say let's just assume that they're going to be playing in their home parks because I do believe that they will play in their home fields with no fans, but they'll, they will be playing in the parks that they are associated with because it just doesn't make sense with the Florida, Texas, Arizona thing based on how the divisions are set up. So I, I think but, it's doable. And I think it, it, I think it softens a lot of the anxieties that the players are going to have. They're going to be able to be in their own homes. They're going to be able to be with their families. You're not often a, you know, remote hotel for two and a half, three months in Arizona or, or Texas. I, I think you got to find a way to have these teams play in their own ballparks. Okay, so we're going to start with the Central, then we'll do the East, and then we'll do the West. So as far as the Central goes, let's talk pitching rotations. Who do you see as having an advantage? Who gets a boost to their pitching rotation? Who gets kind of bumped down a notch or two based on where they're going to be playing road games at now? What changes? What do you see with the pitching rotations in the Central? And by the way, the Central will have the Braves, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Royals, the Cincinnati Reds, the Indians, the Twinkies, and our beloved hometown garbage Detroit Tigers. <laughs> it's a, this is actually my favorite division out of all of these divisions. I think it's super competitive. I think the Tigers are screwed as a hometown team. Um, but yeah, just looking at some of these rotations and how they'll have to go up against other teams, I I I like what the Cubs got going. Uh, if the Indians, if their rotation is healthy, I think I think they can thrive in this division. And I think the Braves right there. I think I think those four teams. Uh, I'm not sure if it's any advantage by playing some of these other teams because I think it's going to be a tough division. I mean, the, we we've talked about how the Reds are going to be able to smack the ball this year. The Twins just murdered the ball last year. Uh, you know, the White Sox, a young up-and-coming team. So it's going to be tough. I mean, especially if you're only playing within your division, uh, what's the fantasy impact on it? You know, you got you Darvish pitching for the Cubs here, and he's got to go up against, you know, extremely tough lineup in Atlanta, Minnesota, and Chicago. I mean, there's not going to be any off days for some of these teams. So this, this is going to be difficult. Uh, I think this is a dangerous division especially for the Tigers, as you said. It's a total joke. They're going to get creamed. These are all teams I like besides the Royals. The Royals and Tigers will get killed. Let's clarify that. But even the White Sox are up and coming. There's a lot of buzz about them. The pitching staff, though, the Brewers will now be a home park that a lot of these teams wouldn't have played before. So, obviously, the Cardinals and Reds and Brewers are all division rivals and the Cubs. You have four teams that would be in the same division, so there's no news there. But then Minnesota has to go to Milwaukee. And imagine Minnesota getting to play. So if there's 10 teams, you got to play nine other teams, and they want to play 100 games roughly, that's roughly 11 games. 11 times nine is 99 for those of you at home. So if it's 11 or 12 games, if it's a 99 or 108-game schedule, if the Twinkies get to play six games in Miller Park, that's pretty exciting. And that's also bad news for the pitching staff of the Twins, which still is one of their weak points. If they're going to be going to take on offenses like the Braves and the Cubs, and the Reds, if the Twins have to play six games in Great American Ballpark, the Twins pitching staff is one pitching staff to me that stands out as a real concern based on this division layout. 
Well, I was looking, so Fangraphs kind of has all these uh, rotations ranked right here. And, and going through it, I, I'm not 100% on board with some of these staffs. Uh, they have the Nationals number one, which, which I would agree with. The highest team from the Central in here is actually the Reds. They have the Reds at number five. So the Reds, you got Bauer and Castillo. Uh, I think you're pretty high on Bauer this year. Castillo, let's see if he can do what he did last year. Sonny Gray had a huge bounce back last year. In terms of other teams and how they're ranked here on Fangraphs, you got the Indians at number nine. Obviously, they have some some injury issues going into the season, but it looks like this quarantine is going to help guys like Clevenger and, and Carrasco. After that, the, the Cubs at 11. Uh, I think you got four really solid starters there, especially if Darvish can do what he did in the second half. Uh, kind of moving down. They actually have the Twins at 12 here. Um, I think they're maybe expecting a lot out of a couple unknowns. You have Kenta Maeda coming over from the National League, and then Homer Bailey, a guy that we talked about a ton you know, a couple months ago. Uh, we'll see where Barrios and Odorizzi are at at that point. Cardinals at 13, White Sox at 15. So there's a lot of teams in this division that they have ranked you know, within you know, that 5 to, to 15 range. And then, yeah, looking down at those lower tiers, you've got Tigers at 24. Uh, Royals at 28, so those teams are going to have a really, really hard time. Um, I'm thinking about the Reds and, you know, playing in the ballpark that they have to play in, ballpark where the ball flies a lot, and they're going to be facing some teams that hit a lot of home runs. So we'll see. It's going to be a tough task for that Reds team. The Braves also lose the advantage of getting to play the Marlins several times in a season. So that's a bummer for them as well. This also puts them in a much tougher situation because the NL Central was loaded. It's jacked. And the Braves pitching staff, which was still kind of uh, up in the air towards the back end. The good news, though, is that Cole Hamels has given all this time to recover from his shoulder injury. And he may be ready to go by now when the season gets ready to go. You got... Mike Soroka, Max Freed, who I love, love Max Freed. I think he's going to keep getting better. I think he's much better than Mike Soroka. Uh, Mike Fultonavich, will he finally get on track and have the year that everyone thinks he can have? Cole Hamels, he's the veteran. He'll give you, hopefully, 100 innings. Um, I mean, if we're going to play 100 games, I guess we're talking, what, like 100 and, 120 innings? Maybe less on average for every pitcher? If yeah, he that's, play, if he... that's really good news for some of these young guys like a Soroka and Freed. And then a guy like Felix Hernandez, who, uh, you know, we talked about him possibly getting that five spot there. I mean, if you only got to throw, you know, 75 innings out of Hernandez, he's going to give it his all for those 75, knowing that he doesn't have to go that full season. So I, I think this brave staff, you, you talked about Hamels. I think Hamels still has something left in that arm. Uh, where he could ha maybe have a low four ERA, I, I think this is this is a rotation that could really uh, jump up uh, within these rankings as as we move into the season. And then the Reds, I like the Reds staff. Like they get to play in all the parks they were going to play in in the NL Central, anyways. But then they'll play the Braves more frequently down there in SunTrust, and SunTrust has been um, mixed reviews as far as park factors. I kind of wanted to dive into that what these parks mean to each one of these teams. Will there be an advantage? It's kind of been an unknown so far, but we do know Great American Ballpark is certainly one of the best hitters parks in baseball. 
People love hitting there, and all these offenses will benefit. Even the Tigers will benefit. And the Jorge Soler, if he gets to play in Great American Ballpark, he's going to be smoking the ball out of there. If he's playing six road games, let's say, if there's a 12-game situation between each team. I, I think what's really fun about this and, and really makes it intriguing to think about is you get the Cubs and Cubs and – Indians playing 11 times maybe these teams play in a you know interleague matchup during the season but they don't have much information on going against each other um you know you talk about let's say you know Rizzo's going up against a uh you know Bieber how many times has Rizzo seen Bieber before so that so that'll be interesting it'll be interesting how they you know kind of construct their lineups seeing that a lot of these guys aren't going to have too much history against each other so I think I think that's kind of a hidden factor. I don't know how it's going to play in, into fantasy, but uh, I think it's something that's uh, something to look at. By the way, I want to mention something we talked about before we started the show, how it was kind of absurd that Atlanta and Pittsburgh got flip-flopped here. Pittsburgh should have stayed in the Central, and Atlanta should be in the East. Yeah, I mean, anytime I've tried to think about doing a realignment, I mean, obviously the West – is perfect. You got, you know, your California teams, your Texas teams, and then you got your, your North, North, uh, West teams. East is pretty simple. When you got the New York teams, Boston, Baltimore, Washington, Philly, all those teams are near each other. Toronto obviously is, is so far North than it to everybody, but they're still East. And every time I've thought about doing these realignments, it's always the Florida teams that messes me up. Uh, so I think having Atlanta in the central, it, it just seems kind of odd to me. You know, you put them over in the east. Sure, they're still going to be, you know, far away from, you know, you know, the Baltimore's and Washington. But that's closer than Detroit, right? That's closer than Chicago. Yeah. Um, and what's Pittsburgh from Detroit? Four and a half hours? Five hours? Oh, uh, yeah. I've driven there. I had a job where I had to go to Pittsburgh to do work many times. It's about a four-hour drive. It's not bad at all. The Pittsburgh connection. No, we drove to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. We saw Pearl Jam in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we saw Pearl Jam, and then we saw Michigan lose to Penn State when we went to Happy Valley the next day in overtime. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, so I, I that's probably the only, you know, gripe I have with this is it probably would have made more sense to have the Pirates in the Central and the Braves in the East, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to blow a fit over it. Blow a fit. Don't blow a fit, whatever you do. Don't blow a fit. So Target Field is a pitcher's park, most likely, based on some of the park factors I've read about and uh, Dan Richards' work, by the way. Shout out Dan Richards over at Pitcher's List. He does a great job with park factors. Uh, Target Field, where the Twinkies play, is where these teams that normally wouldn't get a chance to go there get to play. And I think it'll be an advantage for some of these road teams, like the Cubs, uh, whose pitching staff is, yeah, you know, it's ho-hum. I think that you Darvish is really going to have a great year. He's got a couple of great years left in him if he could stay healthy, but that's an ever certainty, especially with Mr. You. He's a guy who has had, he should have had a, maybe a hall of fame career coming in. Cause he had so many pitches. He's got a killer repertoire, but never quite lived up to the hype. John Lester's out to lunch. Kyle Hendricks, always reliable, underrated. He's very stable. And then Jose Quintana, we don't know what's the deal with him. And that pitching staff will benefit from playing six games on the road in uh, target field. So I'd see that as an advantage for the Cubs. 
Overall, this division is fascinating to me. I think it'll be really exciting if they actually go with this plot. I think we could see some great baseball. And seeing any baseball at this point would be fantastic, so I'm not going to complain about it. And lastly, the universal DH is most likely what would happen, right? I would imagine so, and I think what will happen if they go to universal DH, I think it's going to continue from there, and they're just going to be like, okay, well, let's just place this in in, uh, future seasons. I think that would be the way to kind of, uh, you know, sneak that one in there. We've all been uh, clamoring for it for a while. Let me ask you this, Mike. So the Braves are the only team which is more of a warmer weather team, you know, when we get down to, to, to fall. And shit, I mean, it could snow in September in Chicago and Detroit, Milwaukee and Minnesota. So that could be really interesting if the Braves have to go north for the last, you know, couple of weeks and they got to play, you know, in target field, especially if this season gets extended later later in into the uh, calendar year. So I, I think that might play into effect uh, a lot of different things. Yeah, it might, but, uh, you know, these guys all come from all over. I don't think it weather really plays a big deal in baseball. I really don't. I've never seen it that way. You ever try to hit a 95-mile-per-hour fastball in 15-degree weather? <laughs> No, I haven't. That's true. I've not done that. I haven't. It's a nightmare. If it was like 30 degrees in playoff weather, I I will yeah. totally, com- you know, I agree that that could be a problem. But I think, uh, you know, the Braves, they played the playoffs last two years. It's been a bummer. Uh, they play up in New York with the Mets in the fall. and I don't think it'll be that big a deal. But, hey, maybe it will be. That's something to keep an eye on. And they are the you know, ugly duckling in this central division, and they don't really fit, in my opinion, as we discussed. But <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, East now. We're moving into the East, which has the Yankees and the Mets, the Red Sox, and then the Nationals and the Baltimore Orioles, Philadelphia Phillies, Pittsburgh Pirates, Toronto Blue Jays, Tampa Rays, and the Miami Marlins rounding out the Florida crew. Once again, let's look at pitching rotations. Where do we see the advantages, disadvantages? I think... This is a situation that doesn't change much for these teams. They're kind of all bunched together. The Blue Jays will get to play against some tougher pitching staffs than they would have, and that's going to be a problem for that offense. With it going against the Nationals and uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, those are the ones that stand out, which they, they would have played the Rays already if the league had a normal schedule and year. But one bonus is the Philadelphia Phillies. I think being able to go out of division and play some of these other teams might boost their pitching rotation playing in parks like uh, PNC park. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. The team that I'm looking at that I'm really intrigued by one, their pitching rotation, you know, you know, the New York Mets is, is Syndergaard going to have a bounce back? I think we've talked about that. You and I both think Syndergaard, uh, you know, this is a really important season for him. We'll see if he can bounce back. So I'm looking at the Mets. I mean, you add the Yankees and, you know, the Red Sox and the Rays to this division. Uh, it's going to be a tough climb for the Mets here. I mean, it's going to be some tough competition. Uh, the, the three teams that I see that have the biggest advantage would be the Yankees, the Rays, and the Nationals. I think those are the three top pitching staffs. Uh, maybe three uh, top, maybe five or six in all of the league. So, you know, you got three really stud pitching staffs here. I think I think the Blue Jays, it really sucks for the Blue Jays. I think they're going to have a difficult time. They have a really good young lineup, but they're going to have to face, you know, Garrett Cole and, you know, 
Scherzer and Corbin and, you know, some of these guys with the Rays, it's going to make it difficult. So I, I think they maybe lose out. Uh, Phillies, it's going to be really interesting. Baltimore is going to struggle like hell. They're, them and Miami are going to be really fighting. It's kind of like the Tigers and the Royals. Uh, so, yeah, this, this is another division I like. I like all three of these divisions for sure. The Marlins have a pretty good rotation, and some of the guys that are currently slotted to start, they're not long for the rotation. They're not going to last. Jose Urania won't last. Eliza Fernandez is somebody I really like. He, he will come in and take over at some point for him. But you got Caleb Smith. If he's healthy, he's got great stuff. He could be a difference maker. Even though he had a 439 ERA last year and 71 walks, and then Sandy Alcantara had 80 walks. But going back to our pitching preview way back in – February or January, whenever that was, we talked about Sandy Alcantara, if he could reduce his walks, if he could cut back 15 to 20 walks in this coming season, he could really boost his value and his production. I do believe that's something that's possible because he's continuing to grow as a pitcher. But similar to what you said about the Blue Jays, the Marlins are being sacrificed to the Lambs in this division. It's just not going to be easy for them to compete. They were already going to get smoked in the NL East as it was. They were the bottom tier. And now you're throwing in the AL East component where they got to take on the Red Sox and the Yankees. And uh, <laughs> the Orioles pitching staff is the most, <laughs> the most embarrassing pitching staff of any team in baseball probably. And they're going to get rolled up because now you're combining the AL and NL East to just dump on that pitching staff for the entire season. Yeah, you got to feel bad for John Means and Alex Cobb. Uh, it's probably the worst pitching staff in the league. Uh, I don't think the Blue Jays are that far behind. I, I've never been a massive Tanner Rourke fan. He's not a guy who's going to strike out a ton. I don't think Ryu is going to do what he did last year in the National League West. I think he may struggle in this division. The old shoe man, Matt Shoemaker, is also on that rotation. And Chase Anderson, these guys – all guys that have a lot to prove, and this is going to be a tough, tough division to go up against a lot of really good good bats that you talked about in you know those two Eastern divisions. Yeah, well, you talk about park factors again, and where does it change for these teams? You know, Fenway Park is a solid pitcher's park. That's, that's a benefit for the Marlins. Um, I think Tropicana Field's been kind of a mix, according to Dan. Richard's information, you get about 46%. Home run to barrel percentage, which is great. So it's uh, how many home runs are hit off each barrel and or how often does it happen. And in Tropicana Field, you get a home run about 50% of the time off a barrel. That's, that's still not close to what the league average is, which is 59%. So that's interesting. On average, the average home run based on a barrel, which is a stat cast stat for those of you that know that, it happens 59% of the time. If you barrel a ball, you got a 59% chance that you'll likely hit a home run in Major League Baseball. And the parks where that happens most frequently, Oriole Park, Camden Yards, they're uh, third from the top. 70% of the time, if you get a good barrel on a ball in Camden Yards, it's party time. So it's going to be an offensive boom for all the teams that didn't get to play in Camden Yards before this schedule or this uh, alignment was created. What do you think of this Red Sox rotation in this division? Well, the Red Sox were probably going to be a team that I, well, I know for a fact that the Red Sox were already undervalued coming into this year. Eduardo Rodriguez had become one of the mainstays now as a starting pitcher with Chris Sale being out. 
I think Nathan Navaldi will have a good year if he's healthy. If he's healthy, he could contribute. And this shortened season almost is ideal for Nathan Navaldi. He fits into that mold of somebody who can give you maybe 100 innings of really good baseball. But I don't see him as somebody who can give you 150 to 200 innings ever because that's just not who he is. But after that, it's yeah, they, just, <laughs> it's pretty Yeah, crazy. they signed Colin McHugh. He's got some elbow issues. But, yeah, Ryan Weber, Tanner Hawk. Matt Hall. I, I like Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, he was a guy that was kind of targeting as, a, you know, number three starter on any of my fantasy teams. Uh, Martin Perez is just – he's either going to strike out 12 guys through four innings and then get bombed in the fifth inning, or he'll just get bombed in the first inning. So, I'm not yeah. thrilled with him. This Red Sox pitching staff is – there's – I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's not what it used to be. Tell you that much. Oh, yeah, it's real bad. It, in fact, it's even yeah. it's even worse than I had uh, really thought about. Now that Chris Sale is out, you know, Martin Perez had a 1.52 WHIP last year, and he pitched 168 innings. That's that's not just like a small sample. That's a nasty WHIP in a healthy amount of innings pitch. I do remember though. I want to give tribute right now to Martin Perez. I won a fantasy title in 2017. We were at the Renaissance Festival for Christina's birthday that day. And four o'clock was approaching, and it was like the last, right. the last starters to put in. I was like, should I start Martin Perez? I think he was still on the Rangers at that time, and he was going up against the Oakland Athletics. And I'm like, I'm not going to start him. And I asked you, and you're like, yeah, I don't think you should do it. So I didn't do it. And it turns out he gave up like four runs and seven hits in the first three innings. I would have lost if I started him. So thank you, Martin it, Perez. It dominated our whole day. You and I just going <laughs> back and forth. I remember sitting at a picnic table. And you're just like, dude, dude, dear, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I, <laughs> I remember I was like, well, if we were home and you're able to watch it, I bet you'd probably start him. <laughs> ah, yeah, I probably would have. But because we were away and like we were gonna be there for a couple more hours at the Ren Fest, uh, you made the right <laughs> call and it got you a championship. Yay! Thanks, Martin. All right. So what about uh, big boppers? Who are some people that you you want to jump on from a fantasy perspective in this division? I mean, we got some guys with a lot of pop. We got the Yankees lineup being able to go to town on uh, the Blue Jays like they always do. And they'll probably beat up on the Red Sox this year pretty badly. But then the Yankees might take a hit because they got to take on the Nationals 12 times. And that is no easy feat. And then you throw in PNC Park for the Pirates. That's a tougher road park to hit in. I think there's a slight negative here for the Yankees overall as a, as a lineup. I look at a guy like Bryce Harper with the Phillies. I think he's going to murder in this division. Gets to go to Baltimore. Gets to go to New York. Miami. I mean, I think he could have a really, really solid year there. Uh, Toronto. Balls flies out of Toronto, too. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think I think the Yankees pitching staff, I mean, I, I think it's going to be difficult. I, I, I think the Nationals lineup is still really rock solid. Uh, we're both pretty high on what the Rays can do, especially if all their guys are healthy. Uh, Toronto, they may not win a ton of games, but I think they're going to be able to put up some runs in the middle of that order. So, you know, they're going to be scoring runs. I think this division probably scores the most runs out of all these uh, divisions. I think the Pirates are going to struggle big time. Uh, and then Miami and Baltimore. Besides that, I think I think everybody has somewhat of a shot to stay in it if their pitching staffs can stay healthy. Absolutely. You know, City Field is a park that might surprise some people. 
it's a hitter's park based on the numbers, uh, according to Dan. You know, the top five hitter's parks are Great American Ballpark. Chavez Ravine is second. And then the Orioles, Camden Yards. Miller Park, as we discussed earlier. And then City Field. So the Mets are going to be giving the Yankees lineup a chance to maybe catch up on some of the home runs they would miss by having to go to PNC and taking on the Nationals. I think the Red Sox uh, still have some guys who can hit. I think Ben Benintendi is going to have a bounce back year. And with the universal DH as well, we have to remember that I'm pretty confident that's what's going to happen because it'll just be too complicated otherwise. This also adds substance to the Phillies lineup, the Pirates lineup, and the Nationals. And the Nationals, who assigned all those infielders in the offseason, they had a whole glut. You know, they, They're going to be able to play some of these guys now. They'll be able to play their six infielders every day. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Zimmerman actually could have a purpose. If he can DH, he might be very useful. So that's something to think about. You know, I, I was talking about, you know, earlier about, you know, history of guys going against each other. A lot of these teams in this division have seen Chris Archer before. So I think Archer is going to have another uh, real rough season. Uh, you know, Joe Musgrove is a guy that I, I was getting pretty high on. So I'm interested to see how he can uh, roll through this uh, division. Then you got, you know, young guys like Mitch Keller and, uh, you know, Chad Cool. So well, Pirates have an opportunity. Pirates have the opportunity to make maybe be competitive. Uh, you know, within this division, not probably not in the top five of the division, but uh, if their pitching staff, if, if Musgrove can do what I think he's capable of doing, and if, if Trevor Williams can find what he did two years ago, I, I think they have an opportunity. But I think what's going to kill them is I, I think Chris Archer is just – I think he's trash. He, he strikes people out, but he's just going to give up way too many runs. He's going to give up a ton of long balls in this division. Yeah. That's a really good point of having the Chris Archer background. Fortunately, Chris Archer is just someone who had so much promise. His stuff was nasty. I loved his curveball. I loved his athleticism. He's a guy who can feel this position as well as any pitcher in baseball can do it. But the numbers have just fallen apart. 519 ERA last year. That goes along with the 502 FIP. So it wasn't really that far off. Previous year and the two years before that, he might have been a little unlucky because he had 375 and 340 FIPS to go with ERAs over four. So he might have caught a few bad breaks, but when you throw in his uh, walk, per, walk per nine of 4.14 last year, he just went off the rails. And maybe that's the signal that it's over because it's not often that guys, unless they're taking roids, back in the roid era, guys would have these sudden resurgences at 35 <laughs> years old. But I don't know. I, you, I think you're probably right about Chris Archer. It's unfortunate. How old is Chris Archer now? He's only 31. He's not like done. But there's careers that end when the 30s come around and you're not using PEDs. Careers can end. It does happen. So what about the Rays? We haven't talked talked about the Rays yet. Oh, I don't think anything changes. I think the Rays are a great team. Their pitching staff is top notch. Their offense is fantastic. They have a great mind with uh, Cash as the manager leading the way. I love what he does. He's very innovative. And the Rays are always forward thinking. I don't really see – I would love to see these Rays-Nationals matchups, actually. That's one of the series that I would definitely turn on to watch. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Rays pitching staff, you don't look at five guys. You look at seven, eight, nine different guys that are all going to put up, you know, a possible 100 innings. I mean, just looking at some of these projections right here, they got seven guys pitching over 100 innings. And, you know, one of them that they include in there is uh, Brendan McKay. So he's a guy that you're high on. Uh, these are all guys that strike a ton of guys out. So 
And like you said, Cash is an amazing manager, and you know that they're forward thinking in the game. Uh, they're going to be a tough team to deal with in this division. I love the Rays. Yeah, I am th- really excited to see Rays Nats play 11, 12 games together. That's fun. That's what's the best part about this whole thing is we get new matchups where teams get to play more often. I hate the way the schedule currently exists. It used to be so much different back in the 80s and stuff. Teams would play each other more frequently. And now we never get to see any of these teams come to Detroit except for one series, even though they're in the American League. Now you get teams that will be coming through for hopefully at least six games if it's 12. So I love this new idea, and I'm actually kind of excited now. And when the Rays and Nats go toe-to-toe, I'll be there watching. But I'll also be excited to see the Phillies and Pirates get to play 12 games against each other. Two Pennsylvania teams going head-to-head. So the Pirates are an afterthought. Uh, the Phillies are the wild card to me with their pitching staff in this whole division, I or whatever we're calling it, this alignment. I like the Phillies to really bounce back. I think they, in, they incredibly underperformed with Gabe Kapler as their manager. And now that he's gone and Gabe Kapler's out of their heads, I'm hoping to see some real production. Bounce back from Aaron Nola. He's going to reduce the walks. That was a flip. He had 70 walks last year. That wasn't the norm for him. Zach Wheeler's there. Jake Arrieta is garbage. I think Jack Arrieta is done. Vince Velasquez, he just throws that fastball, but he doesn't have a third pitch, really. He's a disappointment. And that's the problem is there's a couple great guys at the top of this rotation, but it falls off real quickly. Yeah, I think Nola and Wheeler are two guys you can depend on. Definitely see the bounce back from Nola. Uh, I, I think he's due for a superstar season. Jake Arrieta, Zach Eflin, Vincent Velasquez, Nick Pavetta, those are all guys where it's like they're going to need probably two of those guys to step up to really help them out uh, or else it's going to be difficult. Uh, but if, if you can get I – don't, I don't think they get much out of Arietta, but if, if Zach Eflin can, can you know, eat up some innings and, and get some wins. You know, Vincent Velasquez is, is such a frustrating fantasy player because I seem to always stream this guy and he can throw up 12 strikeouts. And if you're in a K per nine uh, league – that's fantastic, but he's probably going to give up six runs at the same time, which can be very, very frustrating. Like you said, he's got excellent power fastball. I think he might work at the top of the zone too much. That's why he gives up a lot of home runs. So uh, we'll see. But, yeah, it's, it's a sneaky pitching staff that has the opportunity to be competitive, uh, but they're going to need a lot of their, out of their number three, four, and five starters. Well, I think Joe Girardi's a great manager, and they're going to totally reinvent – the pitching staff, they'll get the most they can out of it, but the lineup is where you'll see the biggest boost this season. The lineup is going to be explosive. I have no doubts about it. McCutcheon got to, he got to fully heal from his ACL tear now, so he can come back ready to go. And he was playing pretty well last year. I know he, he only had a 257 average, but he had a 360 OBP, and he was, he was a, a conductor for that, that lineup. And I was in Philadelphia and coming back at that time from Philly. So I was really into the Phillies. I I thought he was a real boost for them in April and May. And then Bryce Harper, will he ever explode again? He's consistent enough. He'll give you what he is, but don't expect him to hit 330 ever again. Reese Hoskins, will he hit 40 home runs this year or will he pop out 50% of the time? (laughs) It still remains to be seen, but I actually think that Joe Girardi will give them the tools to kind of reshape their hitting strategy, and this lineup should really explode. It really should. Reese Hoskins in 11 games against the Yankees will hit 15 home runs. They'll all be <laughs> pop-ups, but they'll, they'll be home runs. Yeah. <laughs> Get angry uh, with a Baltimore. Yeah. 
that I mean, this is huge. There's going to be some real booms. Party time for the Phillies. I think they're going to be licking their chops in this division. So yeah, yeah. Going going back to what you said, Mike. I I can't stand interleague play. Um, you know, we've talked about before. My my wife is a Yankees fan. I'm a Tigers fan, obviously. Once a year, they come to Detroit. Uh, this year, it was actually supposed to be the second week of the season, so it's going to be balls-ass cold. So it's either always at the start of the season or the end of the season. And it just sucks because it's like we have to, you know, depending on what day of the week it is, we might have to take off work, uh, you know, to, to hit up one of those games. But, shit, I mean, they'll be able to play each other 11 times. We, don't, we won't get to go to the games, but it'll be very enjoyable to watch it. So, uh, yeah, and like you talked about, like uh, – I'm I'm thinking Nationals Yankees. That looks like an awesome uh, that looks like an awesome uh, matchup right there. And you know, having them being able to play each other eleven times is, is awesome. So. Go west, young man. Let's head out there. It's time to talk about the Western Division. Of course, that means it's the Dodgers and the Angels, and then the Giants, and then of course the Bay Area teams: the Giants and the Athletics, San Diego down in SoCal. And then you head over to Arizona for the Diamondbacks and up to the Rockies where the Colorado Rockies play. And then you got the Texas teams of the Rangers and the Astros. And that closes out with the great Pacific Northwest team of the Seattle Mariners. So talking pitching, pitching staff analysis here. The Seattle Mariners pitching staff is going to be having a rude awakening in this division because they were already going to be (laughs) the worst team in the AL West. And now you throw in the Dodgers and the Padres, and the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies lineups, who I like all four of those lineups. This could be, (laughs) hands down, the Seattle Manor's rotation will be the worst of this bunch, without a doubt. In terms of maybe the best, uh, the Dodgers still are aces, but the Oakland Athletics are always so undervalued with what they get out of guys like Chris Bassett. To me, Chris Bassett is like a classic example of what the Oakland A's do. They maximize what they have to the greatest ability it can give it. They stretch it to the limit. So pitching in this, there's, there's a lot of lineups in this, and the pitching might take a hit, even though there's some a couple good pitchers parks with the Mariners, San, San Diego, and uh, San Francisco Giants home park. But there is also, of course, everybody gets to play more often who wouldn't before in Colorado. I, I think the Dodgers are the clear – cut class of of this i mean fangrass says them as the number four uh rotation in here they had the athletics down at 17 uh you talked about a guy like chris bassett uh the athletics i mean mike fires frankie montez who i like uh lusardo who i mean shit there'll be no limits on his innings this this year uh you know you got guys like meng mengden and aj puck coming back from injuries uh sean Manaya is also coming back from an injury so this this pitching staff for the A's has the opportunity to kind of make that jump into the upper, you know, echelon of this division specifically. Uh, I was kind of shocked to see this, that uh, they have the Texas Rangers is the sixth rated staff uh, in terms of projections in here. Uh, Mike Miner, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, uh, obviously Corey Kluber comes over from Cleveland. Uh, you got Lyles and Allard are going to be fighting for that, that last kind of position. I'm not blown away by a guy like Mike Miner. I know he had a really nice season last year. Lance Lynn had a nice bounce back. Uh, Kyle Gibson, we've talked about a ton. So we'll see how he does against some of these murderous lineups out there, specifically Colorado. I, I like Padres lineup. Uh, Dodgers lineup is one of the best in the league. Uh, 
you know, and then right after that, they have the Astros at seven. Uh, how much does Grinky have left in that arm? Uh, he's 37, 38 years old now. I mean, Verlander's an old man. You know, he's going to be coming. He's going to be rehabbing this injury. Uh, that's another kind of, uh, you know, unknown with the bottom half of their rotation. You know, you got uh, Jose Urquidy, Lance McCullers, uh, Josh James, who, you know, kind of can maybe do some spot starts for them. Uh, Forrest Whitley, who was absolute garbage in the minors last year. We'll see if he gets any uh, Kool-Aid this year with them. So so it's kind of interesting with, uh, you know, this division. I think uh, I said the Dodgers are going to be the clear-cut team to beat. I think their pitching staff is is – Head and shoulders above some of these other teams. Uh, so, so what do you what do you think about a, a team like the Angels, uh, which they, there's a lot of unknowns in their pitching staff, and uh, how do you think they could fare in this division? Well, way back when we were doing pitching analysis, I was trending upwards with the Angels. The Angels got Dylan Bundy, and Dylan Bundy has become everyone's darling that he's finally gonna be who dylan bunny could be because now he doesn't have to pitch in camden yards anymore uh fangrass projections have him at a four and a half era that's not something to write home about at all but uh, <laughs> his caper nine will probably hang around somewhere nine to nine point five and i expect that he'll be able to pitch 120 innings and probably give you an era right around 3.5 that's really where i think bunny can do well because now that the problem is, though, is now that he has to go to Colorado Rockies and take them on for six games, you know, five or six games, and he's going to pitch once in uh, Coors Field. That's not good news for Dylan Bundy. That's a net negative for him. But the Angels are still an intriguing team to me with their pitching staff. If it all comes together, it could really excel with Andrew Haney. Julio Turan is not someone I ever like to use in fantasy. I always avoid him, but I do admit that he has he's moments gonna, where he's going to really struggle in this division. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think Tehran's a guy who everybody streams once in a while, but I try to avoid him. And now that he's got to be taking on some of these teams that he would have avoided before, that's not good news. But Patrick Sandoval walks, is a, walks, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just going back to Tehran, he walks too many guys, gives up too many home runs. I mean, projections right now is a five ERA, fit of five point three nine. So. Oh, man, stay away from Tehran right now. Yeah, but I like uh, Patrick Sandoval is young, and he's got potential. Uh, Matt Andrees I thought was an undervalued part of what the uh, Rays did. And I have an optimistic view of the Angels' staff. Now, I don't have a lot to prove that on, but there are guys in here who have performed at certain times. Andrew Haney has shown great flashes, 10 strikeout games, uh, huge strikeout performances. If they can put it all together – and avoid some of the pitfalls of this division. I do believe that the Angels could make a run in this division. The Dodgers are clearly the cream of the crop, but I think after that, there is a lot to be... Um, obviously, the Astros are good, but I hate the... I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings of what the Astros are right now, but they've also been completely removed from uh, Buzzergate and all that stuff. It, it's not even on anyone's radar right now, so that might actually mean the Astros are could get back to where they were. So I... The Dodgers and Astros might be the elite two of this. And then the third place spot, I think, is really wide open. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Angels are going to score a ton of runs. So they're going to be in these games. I think their bullpen is going to be really, really key for them. I'm not as high as you on on, on Bundy. Uh, obviously, I just talked about Tehran. I don't like him at all. Uh, but you talked about some of those other guys. 
you know, a Patrick Sandoval, uh, uh, Jaime Barria, if those guys can step up and give you some innings, then yeah, maybe they have a chance to compete. There's not many guys in this rotation that I'm targeting fantasy wise though. Um, and then after that, I mean, it's, you got some rotations that are kind of in the bottom third, you know, you're talking about the giants, the, the Rockies. Um, I'm interested to see what Bumgarner can do for, uh, the diamondbacks. Um, the Mariners are going to struggle real hard. But I think besides that, the rest of the division is going to be really competitive after, you know, let's say you have L.A. Let's say you have the Dodgers and the Astros as the top two. I think after that, it gets really, really competitive from three to eight. So uh, we'll see how these rotation, rotations can uh, shake out playing some of these new teams. If the Astros falter due to just having too much pressure on them or feeling – the drain of all the mental anguish they went through that they caused themselves. I'm not saying they're to blame, but if that ends up being an issue and that can be an issue, then I think the diamondbacks could be the team that sneaks up in here as number two. It's either going to be like Oakland or the diamondbacks. And I think the diamondbacks staff, they have so many options with Luke Weaver's got more time to be even healthier now. And he's not even the best pitcher on the staff. Zach Gallen is the fifth starter but he might be their best pitcher depending on how things break. This is a, this is a great staff. My, even Mike Leake, who I can't stand because he's just so boring, but I got to give Mike Leake respect because Mike Leake is able to give you a bunch of innings and not have like the wheels just completely fall off. He has games where you stream him during a fantasy season and he gives you seven, eight innings of like two-run, three-run ball, and you're like, wow, that was great. He doesn't strike anybody out, but he keeps the whip down. And he just gets those ground outs. He gets the job done. That's huge. Yeah, it's deep. Zach Gallen, Luke Weaver, Merrill Kelly, all these guys have started games before. So I, I think that that's a, that's a sneaky team right there. Uh, you know, the Rockies are another team. I think with their offense, they're going to stay in a ton of games. And if, if Herman Marquez can be what I think he can be this year, uh, you know, with a you know, a higher strikeout rate, you know, bring down some of those walks. Uh, you know, John Gray's got to bring down those walks too. He, he walked a ton of guys last year. If Kyle Freeland could come back and do what he did a couple of years ago, I think the Rockies have a shot to, uh, you know, compete in this division as well. Absolutely, man. I completely agree. As far as park factors, some of the best hitters parks in Major League Baseball are in this division. Dodger Stadium's number two, according to Dan Richards. This is all based on 2019 data. It's not historical. So we're looking at that juice ball, and we want to have that specific number. And Dodger Stadium is second on this list. And then you have Angel Stadium, which is sixth. Then Minute Maid Park of the Astros, seventh. And then Globe Life Field is ninth. And, of course, Coors Field, surprisingly, (laughs) is even lower on this uh, below Globe Life Park. So there's obviously going to be the new stadium now for the Texas Rangers, and it will have a roof on it. How that factors into the situation remains to be seen, but I would still be really excited to carry a lot of Rockies hitters on my squad because not only do they get to play in Coors Field, but then they get to go on the road to some of these parks, which are generally hitters parks. So that really – Kind of verifies Trevor Story's first-round value, Nolan Arenado's possible first-round value, though I think Nolan Arenado's more of a second-round value. I think uh, I'd be buying more, even on Charlie Blackman, even though I think Charlie Blackman is washed <laughs> up. He can't steal any more bases, but he can still we score could runs. Buying, we could be buying in on Blackman now. Everything's changed. <laughs> Everything's Isn't that shocking? Changed. That's crazy. 
What about the Padres? We haven't talked about the Padres yet. Talking, you know, Chris Paddock had an amazing rookie season. Uh, you know, Joey LaCasey, uh, Zach Davies, Garrett Richards coming back. A guy like Denilson uh, Lamet, who I like a lot. And uh, we'll see if uh, we see any of uh, Mackenzie Gore this year as well. They're stud uh, pitching prospect. Well, the people I trust in fantasy, they're expecting to see him come up. People who follow prospects and I think Mackenzie Gore will – he could maybe break, depending on how things go, with the club or maybe come up a couple weeks after. I mean, service time's all messed up, and also minor league rosters are going to be included on the major league roster. So that who knows? If there's 28 guys, which is what the September rosters have been reduced to now, if it's 28 guys or if it's 30, that's going to be very enticing for the Padres, especially if it's a shortened season and they think they can make a run in a weird year. How is this going to factor into service time? Yeah, that's that's the thing. Service time is service time still counts. Yeah, the season still counts. That's real real tricky. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a really confusing. They want these guys to be able to compete and pitch. And if Mackenzie Gore can't be pitching for Double A or Triple A, they're going to want him to be throwing some innings. He can't just be doing simulated games on the side. They're going to want him to see some live action. So uh, I definitely see him uh, breaking with the team. Yeah, this is the wild card of the whole season for all these divisions is you don't want your minor league players to get rusty or not progress forward on the track. Even though you don't want to lose service time, you do want them to get action. And if there's no minor league baseball at all, this is going to be the wild card. How big are the rosters? Are we talking more double headers? If it's a 100-game season, it still doesn't – and it starts – let's say it starts late June and they go through the end of September and October. They could basically – still get the season done for the most part. They won't have to have too many doubleheaders to get it done. But I do think you're right. This is somebody, Mackenzie Gore, is a really important piece for this team, and they do not want to see him just kind of sitting on the sidelines wasting away. It's too important. And everybody who has a great prospect that's on the brink, uh, what happens to Wander Franco? Wander Franco's just sitting on ass. I mean, this is one of the fascinating parts of this whole situation. I think we're going to see a lot of on-the-job training, which actually changes a lot of projections. And maybe everything we just talked about is just total bullshit now because if we got a lot of guys who are getting action, starting pitching, uh, playing the field, people making mistakes, learning on the job, this could impact games. Also, you know, let's say you got, you know, talking about like the Braves, the Braves have three or four really solid starters who, you know, are, are good prospects for them. Uh, what if you can't take all four of them? Who's the guy you leave out? What does that do for his, his, his mental capacity in his brain? Oh, they're giving up on me. I'm not one of the guys that is invited to camp. I mean, that, that plays a big part too, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is a – the Padres were on the precipice of maybe taking it to the next level. And in this shortened season, you know, remember what happened in – 95 was a shorter season, but it was still like 144 games. So it doesn't really compare to this, but – some goofy things happened, and teams that were ready to take the next step didn't get to do it quite yet. They had to wait another year, and other teams kind of jumped on the opportunity. So I think the excitement level should be pretty high for whenever baseball gets going, and it will get going. I'm, I'm locking it in. If it's June or July, it will happen. Yeah, 100 games is so – it's so crazy because, like, all right, so where's the trade deadline going to be? Exactly. When do teams make moves? When do teams give up? Really interested to find out what this playoff structure is going to be because it sounds like they're 
going to expand it. So there's going to be a lot more teams in the mix. I'm getting excited talking about some of these uh, potential just changes of how everything is going to run. It's really starting to get me excited about, uh, you know, we're going to see something that we've never seen before, especially if they go with these three divisions, which, you know, I'm on board with this. I really like this. I I, I love the opportunity of teams playing each other that they never play. You got a hundred game race to get to the playoffs, playing all these new parks. Uh, You know, I, I think Major League Baseball is going to do everything they can to get going as soon as possible. 55 million people watched the NFL draft the other day. People are dying for sports right now. And baseball has the opportunity to be the one sport that that could happen. I, I don't know what's going to happen with the NBA right now. It seems like baseball might have the best chance to come back quicker than anything else. I think football will happen. Uh, no matter what, come fall, and it might just completely destroy everything. <laughs> but uh, baseball has the chance to, sh- to be showcased right now. And, you know, I've been talking about the last few years, there's some incredible young talent in Major League Baseball that's kind of getting overlooked by just the casual sports fan. And this is this is the opportunity for the, the, the casual sports fan to really buy in and get back into baseball. So I'm excited for that. Man, absolutely. Well said, Deary. By the way, while you were talking, I was thinking about how Matt Olson – Gets to play six games in Coors Field. That's going to boost his home run. That's going to boost his projections for home runs, even if it's still less than his 162-game projection. But I would love to see him blast the ball out of Coors. All right, so let's uh, quickly then, that's our divisional kind of analysis, if you will. That's what we do here. It's the Hey, It's Rico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's on Twitter. That's where we do a lot of our stuff. Uh, you can also find me and Deary on Twitter. We're available. Our Twitter handles are on our Palazzo page. Send us an email as well, Palazzo Podcast at protonmail.com. Two L's, two Z's. Real quickly, let's talk contract to your players. Now, we don't have to get into great detail, but I wanted to highlight some guys who might try to really give that extra little oomph. Uh, JT Real Muto is going to be available. His contract will be up. Yuri Guriel. DJ LeMahieu. I think DJ LeMahieu. He's making an opportunity here. They haven't signed him to an extension, even though he had maybe the best season he ever had. He was a MVP vote getter last year. Who do you see on this list of all the players we're listing that could surprise by leaving or will really take to the challenge of, hey, this is my free agent year. I got to really ball out. Yeah, you got a list of, I don't know, maybe maybe 12 to 15 guys on here. I think the, the guys that really stand out to me are – Real Muto, DJ LeMayhew, George Springer's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, is he going to sign a long-term contract with the Astros? Can they afford him? Uh, what's the direction the Astros are even going in right now? Trevor Bauer's super, super interesting to me. Um, James Paxton, uh, he's a guy who, you know, injury kind of derailed everything, and now – this whole quarantine and baseball starting late is huge for him. So I think he gets a big boost here uh, to, you know, put a tryout on to see if uh, the Yankees want to stick with him long-term. I think if he has a solid season, I think the Yankees try to sign him long-term just because I don't think they have much in that rotation right now. Uh, Guys that I'm not really going to focus on is a guy like Guriel, the guy's old as balls. Um, so I, I don't know what type of contract he'd be getting after this. Justin Turner, he's kind of on the wrong side of 30 as well. 
Uh, Simeon, a guy who had a really, really solid season last year. Uh, you know, where, where are uh, the athletics thinking? Are they thinking long-term with him? You know, they got guys like Olsen and Chapman who are a little younger than him uh, that, you know, those are kind of their main guys that they need to get to long-term contracts. But, you know, if Simeon puts up another solid year, they might want to lock that down, especially if they're going to be competitive within that division. Uh, some other guys on there that probably aren't worth mentioning, Cespedes, Brantley, uh, Nelson Cruz, um, Robbie Ray, a guy, Robbie Ray is so interesting to me. He's got incredible stuff, but he just can't throw strikes. It swings and misses or strike out a ton of guys, but he'll also throw 120 pitches in four innings because he just he can't throw strikes. So uh, I've always been just waiting for his huge breakout where he can put it together for a whole season and maybe uh, get himself a big contract. Yeah. The <laughs> Whether a contract year is a real thing or not has been highly debated by many people. Uh, some of the numbers, I was looking back on some – contract years and how people did the year after they got their contract. A couple examples. Alfonso Soriano, 2006 was a contract year. He hit 277, 46 home runs, and had a 350 OBP, had a 6.1 war. He was a top six MVP vote getter. Then 2007, when he's got his new contract, he hits 33 home runs. It's 299. Uh, also plays in 24 less games and has a war of 4.3. So that it was a mixed bag on that one. Barry Zito, remember he got that huge contract after he left the A's? 2006, he had a 3.83 ERA with a 1.4 whip. The year after that, he had a 4.5 ERA. Uh, he pitched in less innings, too, and also lost a couple more games. Who cares about that? But he also struck out 20 less guys. It was a mixed bag. It just doesn't – these are only two examples, but I just wonder what happens when a guy gets a deal. Does it really – drive him and I really think it depends on who that person is you have to factor in what's the mental makeup of that guy what do you know about him in his history in adversary how does he deal with in clutch hitting situations you can find mental makeup points that show somebody who can handle pressure and whether they're able to rise to the occasion you just have to dig for it good points <laughs> right Sorry, I, I wasn't even I wasn't even listening. I was looking at something on my computer. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So those are guys. Mookie Betts. What will happen with him? I saw a guy predict last week that Mookie Betts will end up with the Braves signing there for some reason. I don't know why. He has nothing to base that on. Uh, who knows what will happen with some of these guys? I do know that Mookie Betts will perform. I feel very confident in that. Will Jonas Cespedes? He's had a lot of time to recover and get healthy. Can he get a chance to break out? He's going to be a free agent. There are many guys who are legit fantasy options who could have the big year to give themselves value. So Justin Turner, Jonathan VR, Michael Brantley, Robbie Ray. So stay tuned. Keep an eye on those guys. Marcus Stroman, he got traded to the Mets and he's going to be in his walk here. So these you are guys. What, that what's, what's interesting to me is that most of these players play for pretty good teams that are going to be competitive. So I was thinking about, you know, these guys being in contract years and being traded. I don't know how many of these guys are going to get traded, especially if these teams are competing for, uh, you know, a, a championship. No, a lot of these guys are going to either walk or they'll get re-signed eventually, but they won't take the one year qualifying offer. That's for sure. So they'll probably walk. Unless Jonathan there's a will be the one guy that gets traded. <laughs> yeah. They, they definitely signed him to trade him. There's no doubt about that. 
Okay, so it's been a long time since we've done Shine or Ride the Pine. It's been a while, but we got a segment I came up with. We're going to talk about 15 guys, real quick, rapid fire style, that should or should not be in the Hall of Fame. Can you handle this, Deary? You know, I haven't really looked at all of these guys' stats. This is kind of brand new to me, but uh, I'll give it a whirl. Well, that's the whole point. You just go with your gut, man. You go with your gut instinct. That's the whole point of the segment. Here we go. Okay, first, Will Clark. Should Will Clark be a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? No. <laughs> Lou Whitaker. Sweet Lou. Yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. Agreed. Lou, get that. We are all rooting for you, Lou. Uh, Bernie Williams, the guy we talked about during the bracket. I would say yes, just because of some of his playoff performances and the fact he has got as many rings and he played for a really, really solid Yankees dynasty. Uh, I feel like they got to get another hitter into that uh, Hall of Fame, that group. I would also agree. By the way, the reason I picked a lot of these guys is because Harold Baines was voted in by the Veterans Committee, and I thought that was one of the bigger jokes, unfortunately. No offense to Harold Baines, but there's a... There's a threshold, and once Harold Baines got in, I think it's opened the door. So that's why some of these names are on here. So listeners have context of Harold Baines being a Hall of Famer now when you hear these names. We continue on. Jim Edmonds. Oh, man, what a what a center fielder. And a ton of gold gloves. Uh, been some really solid teams. Oh, he didn't even get to 2,000 hits. Um, I don't know. I mean, Ozzy Smith got in for uh, not being able to hit very well. Uh, he was an amazing uh, fielder. I'm going to say no with Edmonds. Oh, man. Okay, that's fair. By the way, Jim Edmonds, uh, 393 career home runs, hit 284, and he had not even 2,000 hits. But he did have eight gold gloves. Next. Dwight Evans of the Boston Red Sox. I mean, what did he do? Did he play like 25 years for the Red Sox? Uh, <laughs> he played 19 years. <laughs> you play that long, you're going to accumulate stats. I say no on Dewey Evans. Dewey Evans had 2,400-plus hits, 385 home runs, and he hit 272 in his career with an OBP of 370, though. How about Matt Holliday? God, Matt, Matt Holiday. So I think what hurts him is he played for the Rockies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he actually ended up playing longer with the Cardinals. Uh, a guy I always liked. Um, looking at some of his numbers, he had six seasons where he had over 100 RBIs. Oh, man. What's his career average here? 290? 299. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I think that's the right choice. Great player, just not quite enough. And then there's somebody who's got a lot of buzz lately over the last couple of years, Scott Rowland. Yeah, Rowland's a guy, let me bring up some of his numbers here. He's a guy they've been talking about a lot lately. Obviously, played in some really good teams, an amazing third baseman. Let me ballpark he was, it here. He, he, he was always on 50. a team with Red, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the Reds, the Cardinals. Billy's Reds and Cards, yeah. <laughs> God, what a solid player. I mean, looking, I mean, 97 to 2005, I mean, he had just consistently, you know, 25 home runs, 90 RBIs, almost 1,300 RBIs altogether. Um, Gut instinct, Deary. Yeah, let's put him in. Hey! 
all right. Scott Rowland, you're in. Congratulations. Next, a guy who has given up on being in the Hall of Fame but still hopes he'll get in desperately and secretly, Steve Garvey. Nope. Oh, wow, okay. That's a flat no. Interesting. Uh, how about this? This is a guy we talked about again during our bracket run. Keith Hernandez, borderline? He just didn't do it for too many, for as, as many years as he needed to to get in there. So, uh, real solid player for about six, seven years. Obviously, won an MVP, uh, but I'm going to say no. Mm, all right. Fair enough. How about Garrett Anderson? God, I love, I love Garrett Anderson. Um, I'm going to say yes. Hey, Garrett, you're getting in. Garrett, you are really you borderline. You can't I find a more consistent ball player. Like, I, I understand the Hall of Fame is not a. Uh, for very good players, it's for the best of the best. But looking at some of these other guys that are in the hall, let's put Garrett Anderson in. Well, once Harold Baines got in, he was just a consistent guy. That's what he was. So yeah, everybody can get in now that Baines. <laughs> Don Manningly. Oh God, if Don could have played like four more seasons, but uh, those those old cranky knees. I mean, I'm talking about one of the best players for a seven eight year stretch. You're talking like. You know, 86 to the early 90s, and then those injuries just killed them. So, uh, as much as I love Donnie Baseball, I got a Donnie Baseball t-shirt. I'm going to say no. You had a crazy stretch there from 84 to 87, and it just, it's so good, but it's not, it's not good enough. You're right. I think that's a smart call. That, what about Mark Grace? So he's a guy, I, I'd be interested to look at his stats towards the end of his career. Um, but yeah, Gracie, the first few years of his career, amazing. Eh? Obviously, gets that world championship at the end. I'm gonna say no on Mark Grace, though. Okay, that's respectable. By the way, Mark Grace hit 303 for his career with a 383 OBP and 2400 hits. Those those are some decent numbers, but there's no power at all. But I, I respect your decision on that one. Uh, here's a guy I brought this up just for you, Dave Parker. Yeah, I watched that MLB Network had that. Uh, doc on him uh, a couple weeks ago uh, it was called cobra because that, that's what his name was i didn't realize how good of a player he was in the late 70s early 80s and uh this guy could have stayed healthy and took care of his body he could have been a hall of famer the guy really hit for average uh i'm gonna say no on parker but i think this guy really had the talent to be a hall of famer mm-hmm and then there's Bobby Abreu. What about Bobby Abreu? What are, give me some numbers for Abreu. <laughs> well, Abreu, is in, it's interesting. He had a 291 career hitter, but he had a 395 career OBP in 18 seasons. That's real nice. That's it is a, a, 20, a great OBP. It's a great OBP. Uh, 2,470 hits. So let's go with uh, 288 home runs. I think he played in the wrong era. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, if this guy played in the seventies and eighties, he'd be a shoe in. <laughs> yeah, he would have. I agree. So I'm gonna say no on a brave. Very good player, though. Oh, sorry, Bobby. I remember he had fun when the Tigers hosted the All Star Game in 2006. That was a fun year. Uh, then there's a guy who was a splash. He was a flash, and then he was gone. Miguel Tejada. What's his age now? Is he 60? I mean, remember he lied about his name? <laughs> yeah, supposedly like, totally he's on ESPN, them interviewing him. His, like, well, last... <laughs> his last season was actually 2013. He played with the Royals for 50 games. 
Uh, Miguel Tejada. God. How many seasons he played? He played 16 seasons? MVP. Oh, man. It's tough, man. He was you know, a shortstop that could hit some home runs. Um, who's that third base? Oh, Melvin Moore. I remember Melvin Moore. I don't know why Melvin Moore is popping. <laughs> Melvin Moore. I do I remember Melvin Moore. Strikeout rate wasn't terrible. 285 average, 1,300 RBIs, 336 OBP. Uh, no, on top. Oh, I'm sorry, Miguel. I was rooting for you. And then lastly, this is an interesting case, Tory Hunter. Used to be an incredible center no fielder. It's, it's so weird because you look at, you know, the Hall of Fame. They, it's strictly by numbers and statistics that they go with. Obviously, they've kind of lessened some of those, uh, some of that criteria criteria in the last few seasons. It seems like a ton of guys from, like, our era, the 80s and 90s, specifically the 90s, have just been getting in constantly. Uh, yeah, uh, Torrey Hunter's in the, the Hall of Very Good, but not the Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm sorry, Tori. I actually thought you had a chance. Nine gold gloves, but it wasn't meant to be. You've got mail. Okay, so we're going to close it out with uh, our email this week. We got an email from Larry. Larry's checking in. He says, hello, boys. I'm dropping a note to complain. Not about you. You guys are great. Hey, thanks, Larry. I'm really upset over the MLB draft. On March 26th, the MLB and MLBPA agreed to have only five rounds in this year's draft. That's totally unfair. It sucks. With the Tigers having the number one pick, their opportunity to load up on good draft picks is wiped out as they will be missing out on 35 picks they have the right to for their last place finish. If they have to fight it out with other clubs for free agents, what's the likelihood players will sign with the Tigers? This is the kind of punishment that the Astros and Red Sox should have received for cheating, losing 35 draft picks. If the NFL can have a full draft, why can't they? Owner Illich and GM Al Avila should be, I almost said Mike Avila, Mike Avilas. Remember Mike Avilas? Gross. <laughs> GM Al Avila should be screaming their heads off over the unfairness of this, but they are silent. Both the team and the Detroit fans get arbitrarily punished. I know this is a local issue and only important to Detroit fans, but someone in the media should be complaining on our behalf. You aren't the media, but maybe you guys can publicize this travesty. Larry. Okay, Larry. Well, the draft has been reduced because minors are going to be contracted and there's not going to be any minor league baseball this year. Uh, this is also part of a greater scheme of major league baseball to kind of close the ranks. And I see a great overarching policy in the works and they're using COVID-19 as an excuse to take advantage of it. What do you think, Chris? Well, I'd like to challenge Larry to tell me all the players the Tigers will be missing out on. <laughs> um, we don't know half these guys. I mean, you know, there's a couple of these guys that have been talking about, you know, at the, at the top of the, uh, the dress, specifically uh, Torkelson, that first baseman, uh, you know, they get their first round pick. Um, <laughs> I mean, after that, I mean, it's such a crapshoot in baseball. It's different than football where these guys are immediately coming up and you know who they are. Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you who the Detroit Tigers fourth round pick was last year or <laughs> Or even if he signed with the club. What's really interesting to me is if they only go with this many uh, rounds, there's going to be college players that might just be going back to college to play baseball because they're not going to get drafted. So I think that's really, really interesting to me. And then after that, I guess, yeah, all these guys are free agents, and then it's just going to be, uh, you know, total uh, you know, hungry, hungry hippos to try to go grab these players. So uh, everyone's going to have the same opportunity, right? Uh yeah, I mean, I get it. It sucks. Uh, 
not having that many rounds, but I also don't think they need that many rounds in baseball, especially with the contracting of teams. Um, do I wish it was more than five rounds? Sure. I mean, 10, 15 rounds seems appropriate to me. Um, I don't think we'll ever know how this really affects a team like the Tigers, the Orioles, or the, or the Marlins. I, I don't think we're ever going to know how much they lost out on this. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Tigers was screwed up anyways, Larry. So that's what I think of that. The Tigers don't know what they're doing. They think they know what they're doing, but they're not really doing a great job. So to have any faith in Avila and especially Chris Illich, who's a total turd of an owner, I have no faith in them. And I, I think it's a bummer because people who get drafted in those lower rounds, I think that they love the opportunity and they get a rare chance to be drafted even if they don't ever get to become something. I mean, Mike Piazza, right? Remember Mike Piazza? What was he like a six? Back when they had like 60 rounds or something? I swear he was like a 60 <laughs> round panic. Yeah, he was like the 55th round or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah, it was really bizarre. It was like, I mean, every draft gets reduced over time because there's, there really is no need to have 40 rounds of MLB drafting. There just isn't. And I'm not trying to take there away someone's. There used to be like seven rounds in the NBA. Right. Yeah. The, like the 35, NBA. 40 years ago. Football yep. used to be, I think, 10 to 12. I think it was 10 when we were kids. That's down to seven now. So, uh, yeah, it was. What did baseball have? Was it 50 rounds or 40 rounds that they had? I swear. And that was already reduced because it used to be more than that. It used to be like 7,500 rounds. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it went forever. And, if I, and yes, I was right. Mike Piazza was a 62nd round pick in 1988. Shit, I should have been drafted in 99. I, I could have been in, like, in the like 100th round. <laughs> I did bet 387 in <laughs> Here's what here, – I'm just going to throw this out there. Here's what someone's going to say in um, response to this. Keith Hernandez. We talked about him a minute ago. 42nd round pick. Uh, Orlando Hudson, 43rd round pick. He was a solid shortstop for a while. Uh, oh, dog. I love oh, dog. Yeah. Brandon Kinsler, current relief pitcher. He was a round 40th pick. Kenny Rogers, great Kenny Rogers, who led the Tigers to the 2006 World Series. He was a 39th round pick. So there's a lot of guys that just get lost in the shuffle, and this list goes on and on. But in the end, progress means – that things change. Tradition doesn't last and the drafts shrink and that's part of life. And I think we just have to unfortunately accept that. I don't think it'll minimize baseball at all though. I'm not worried about baseball. You just got to hit on the picks that you do have, which, you know, in terms of the tigers, like Larry's email, they'll screw it up anyway. So, <laughs> you know, you know what they're going to do. They're going to take with the first pick in the draft. They're going to take some right-handed pitcher out of high school, which they clearly don't need anymore. They need a hitter, but they won't do that. They'll fuck it up. I don't have any faith in the organization. It's a sad day. Well, thank God we're like just overall big baseball fans. Cause if like, you know, we were just tiger fans and really weren't into anything else in the baseball, it'd be, it'd be terrible right now. Oh, it's putrid. Yeah. You're just always looking. This is must be what it was like to be a Cubs fan back in the day. Always looking towards the future. We are the Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. You listen to our episode. It's now wrapping up. Thanks for checking in. If you like what you heard, Follow us on Twitter, Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's. On Instagram, Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's. And you can do what Larry just did. Email us, Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's, 
at protonmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. We're getting back on the fantasy tip here. It's good to talk fantasy again, dearie. I enjoyed it. Thanks for doing this. This was one of my favorite pods. Uh, I haven't lost. I haven't lost everything yet. Even though I haven't like been researching or looking at shit every day, I felt like I uh, was really excited. Brought the enthusiasm, and uh, I'm excited to get going again next week and talk more fantasy. Couldn't have said it better myself. We're out of here, folks. See ya. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.